I'm Lisa Blair, scholar, writer, and international women's consultant. And I'm David Bedrick, teacher, author, and founder of the Santa Fe Institute for Shame-Based Studies. Join us as we break down relationships, drawing from depth psychology, our work with clients, and 18 years together in romantic partnership, diving into the agony, and the ecstasy, of emotional intimacy, conflict, and connection. Let's jump in! This is In Too Deep. Hey, David. Hey, everyone. Hey, Lisa. Hey, everybody. I got my little bit of red wine sitting here (laughs) as the sun goes down and the first night of Hanukkah Mm. arises. Yes. Mm -hmm. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. So let's let's go into bittersweet because I'm already thinking of that anyway. Yeah? What are you thinking? I'm thinking that... um, that the last episode, I was uh, audibly silent, but ch- typing you messages. Mm-hmm. And for those who have been listening, they can probably hear that my voice is a bit hoarse, a bit scratchy, a bit maybe lower and less clear than normal because I am still getting over this virus that is hanging on for dear life. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I felt like I could talk enough today to record. So mm-hmm. we're giving that a shot. And um, yeah, so the bittersweet for me <clears throat> is um, I am still in this. I don't want to say still recovering because I don't really know when something goes from being sort of, quote, sick to recovering exactly, but I'm still in this process and um, still learning more about what's happening for me in this process and uh and yet my energy is considerably better in the last few days which i'm grateful for um and yet things are hanging on so i'm kind of still in a limbo land with all of this um but feeling a little more hopeful than i was feeling about maybe the end is in sight we will see body stuff has been well it's been big for a long time but it's been amplified in the last years with covid lisa doesn't have covid by the way yeah but it's been amplified because we're seeing more of difficulties with body symptoms that don't only resolve easily and many people know that because of immune issues mm-hmm. and otherwise way before covid happened but it's being accentuated and anyway i'm yeah. just thinking about how what you're going through is part of the definitely <clears throat> the world of yes. wrestling with Yes. With things. We just learned uh, that there's a new variant of COVID. Of it's course. almost like this thing that we want to get Omicron. over. Omicron. Yeah. Omicron. <laughs> or uh, whatever. Yeah. But we keep learning like this something that we should be getting over and getting over and finishing up. But it doesn't only happen that way. And that doesn't happen for a lot of people also. Yeah, true. Why won't I end these patterns? When will I be secure? When will I right. get over this difficulty? When will I... My relationships differently. Yeah, good right. question. And life has a pattern and movement, and we wrestle with things, yeah. and we still show up. Yeah, it's like if this were if what I was experiencing were categorized as a, as merely a quote psychological experience, right, and not a physical one. Let's say, then you would think, well, five weeks. Who gets over anything in five weeks, right? right? Psychologically, right? Like who like moves through a psychological process or experience in five weeks? Nobody. <laughs> no, 
never happens that fast. And of course, we think that symptoms are are also psychological, yeah. emotional, what have you, right? So anyway, that's just it's just funny how we think about psychology and symptomology different. Yeah. But and then the point for me is if you can't only get over things or if getting over fixing correcting is not the only path then what and then i think how do you live in our last episode episode 10 yeah we did i spoke more you whispered and wrote messages to me and we said not only ha- oh this is a problem we can't do our podcast the same way great a creative expression that says <laughs> voice can't be used in lisa's throat how interesting. And life can also be that way. Not that it's not hell mm-hmm. and difficult to mm-hmm. have all kinds of symptoms, psychological, physical, and otherwise. <clears throat> but then how does the spirit respond and become life? Yeah. Anyway. So we're not only saying, how do I get over? How do I get over? But how do I live? Yes. Okay, David, That's your my turn. energy. That's, that's my your... energy. You got it. That's my bittersweet <clears throat> oh, that's your bittersweet. I'm, a, I'm turning that into my bittersweet. Oh, you're 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 just redefining bittersweet right before our eyes, aren't you? <laughs> the bitter is we can't get over. It. The sweet is life offers creative chances for us to find you ourselves. You can't do that. You can't you can't redefine one of our sub segments. Okay, Hanukkah sucks because people are anti-Semitic in the world, and it's tokenism during Christmas time. And on the good side, Happy Hanukkah. Grumble, grumble, bah humbug. Okay, got okay, it. Okay, got it. We got the bittersweet. Okay. Well done. But we and you, yes, uh, you were going to talk about. We were yeah. going to talk about. You yeah. were going to lead us, yeah, because your studying is part of your doctoral studies. Yes, um, relational intimacy and history yeah. and. I sometimes think, gosh, it's so fascinating. People probably don't even know some of these, how these things have evolved over time. And you talked to me about it. And I'm like, yeah. that could be a cool framework. Yeah, we were on a walk today and I was like spouting about a bunch of things I've been learning in emotional intimacy and and talking about how jazzed up I get. I get so turned on thinking about these things and my mind just starts organizing ideas and synthesizing things. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. So exciting. Um and uh, so we were thinking, oh, maybe I should chat a bit about some of that today. And um, mm. I was thinking, this is actually something I kind of looked into more about a, about a year ago in my in my doctoral journey, as it were, is the history of emotional intimacy, the evolution of how it came about. So it's actually not something I've been looking into recently. I've been looking at more theories around emotional intimacy recently, but I somehow have been thinking a lot about the history of emotional intimacy lately. It's been on my mind and I keep wanting to like think about it and talk about it. So I think that's why I came up today. Tell so, us about so we're going to talk about it today. Oh, yes. And, and I thought to say, so even though we've only, you know, this is our 11th episode, we've only done 10 so far. So I don't know if you could say that we have much of a track record one way or the other. But I think it's fairly safe to say that so far, most of what we've been offering is sort of in the realm of self-help of something like personal growth around relationships and emotional intimacy and how you can apply our ideas to your relationship. And today is not going to be so much about that, but I hope to some of you, it'll be interesting to think about nonetheless somehow. And I think the discussion that we have about it will probably be especially 
thought-provoking. Yeah. yeah. We need more good thinkers and good ideas that come in to... Uh, uh, I know you and I were talking and I was saying, in some communities have almost an anti-intellectual mm. idea of psychology. You should be in your feelings and then an intellect is not so good. The mind is a problem, you yeah. know, to get over. And I think, yeah, but a good mind... <clears throat> And a good theory and a good idea mm-hmm. can open your eyes and your heart. And so thinking can be very useful, yeah. <laughs> of course. But some people, <laughs> you know, I guess I'm trying to compensate for that. Yeah. yeah. Let's do some good theoretical thinking about these things. Yes. And historical thinking yeah. helps us frame things. It does. It does. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. So I'm going to give a sort of a brief little history lesson, as, as it were, around... Dr. Blair's Blair. History Lesson 107. <laughs> Around emotional intimacy, how it came to be, according to some scholars. And, the, and the, the caveat here is that what I have found in my searching for the history of emotional intimacy is that it you'll notice if you're sensitive to these things or that you come from a non-white, non-Western, or non-heteronormative world. If you're in the queer community, for example, or you're a person of color or you're not from Western society, so to speak, uh, you'll notice that there are weaknesses in the history as it has been Uh, declared, right? So in my searching for the history of emotional intimacy, it, it tends to be framed in the context of the institution of marriage, which is not only, um, not inclusive in terms of folks who, uh, have decided not to marry for whatever reason, they're not interested in marriage, whatever, uh, they or and or are from the queer community where that community has historically been heavily marginalized in terms of the the institution of marriage not being allowed to marry before that it wasn't even you're not even being allowed to have your relationship legitimized or even legal so there's a whole there's a whole huge blind spot in the scholarship around emotional intimacy and in, in, in our discussion today, specifically in the historical context of how it has been looked at because of the limitations of looking at it through the progression and evolution of marriage in particular. Does that make sense, David? Yeah. Yeah. This is really touching. I get teary just hearing you say that. I'm mm-hmm. serious because mm-hmm. it's so rare to hear someone say, not only here's the critique, but my heart is with, my mind is with what's missing because of the care about community, not just an intellectual. Mm-hmm. It's intellectual also. I think this is limited for these reasons. The statistics are off. But the, the diversity inclusivity issue and how that's biased the way we see and think mm-hmm. and how rare it is to have someone speak to that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is a precious thing alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we stopped right here, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it has to be assumed that when you, when something is, when anything is studied through such a narrow lens, such a white 
Western heteronormative lens, you are going to miss things. That has to be stated and assumed. You're going to miss experiences that that perspective does not capture. And, and as we know, it's not just that academic perspective, that research perspective, but the whole world's perspective, right? That the, that the dominant white Western heteronormative patriarchal I'll even refer to that later. That perspective misses so much of human experience. So what I'm what the history lesson that I'm about to give is a limited view, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that perhaps there are others who have spoken about intimacy, or in, usually it's intimacy in an indirect way, like say through the topic of just love in general, or romance in general, mm-hmm. or relationships in general. I see. So there's, there's a lot, a lot out there about relationships, about love, about romance, but there's just very little about intimacy itself, and even less using the phrase emotional intimacy. So I'm saying that to bow to whomever out there has actually tried to look at intimacy through, say, a queer lens, historically, or uh, a non-Western lens, historically, or a non-patriarchal lens, historically. Maybe it's out there. I just haven't run into it. So this is the history that I can offer with all these sort of important caveats. Thank you for that. I'm really wanting to hear okay. what has happened okay. historically and how what has shaped my view and our views and Yes. You know, were things always like they are now? They were we not about, always like they are now. We talk now. about feelings together <laughs> and stuff. Our relationship would not really exist back in time at least at least as we know it. <laughs> so so we start with the fact that anthropologists over time have studied cultures and they have found that they can, like when you study a culture historically that isn't around anymore, what you can study is their literature and their art and their artifacts and things like this, right? And what they're able to locate is that in as far back as ancient Greece or Rome, and that is not to say that it's limited to ancient Greece and Rome, it's across a multitude of cultures from that time period. I see. <clears throat> that they find evidence of references to romantic love, passion, infatuation. So as far as we know it today, those concepts have been around for eons. And then what they do is they fo- they have focused on the institution of marriage as a way to track intimacy over time. Mm-hmm. It's a thing, it's an institution that has been a, that has been a mainstream approved institution for a very very long time and so they can track the experience of love and intimacy as it has evolved in that institution. Uh-huh. So uh, Way back when, the, the institution of marriage began, as most of us today think of as a disgusting form, which is that of property, right? The very, very patriarchal form of property, which is like a husband, in the best of senses at that time, would then, quote, love his wife like he would love his property. He would love and care for his house and his land and his cattle and his possessions and his wife. Mm-hmm. 
and he would at best want to care for those things, right? Then at that time, um, it, it, property was the, was the locus of attention in a marriage versus like a personal or emotional commitment. That wasn't an issue then. And that, and that really romantic love at that time was a rare stroke of luck. Like if you also had love, wow, that's wild and crazy, but not at all an expected component of marriage. And then by, say, if you jump ahead to like the 17th century, marriage was becoming a more what they call companionate relationship. And what that meant was a sense of mutual friendship and affection. But it it was still really rooted in maintaining the social order of society. So it's really bound by duty and authority. Again, maybe there's some friendship and affection in that, but really it's not based on love or emotional connection. Mm -hmm. Also, although the word intimacy wasn't yet referred to, if there was a sense of it, it was really about the physical proximity of people. So people were in more communal settings and Privacy was a rarity at that time. And I'm going to refer to that later, how that evolved. So then jump ahead from the 17th century to the late 19th century. And now romance, in even though romance was around, it was now being referred to in mainstream discourse. And, and historians could see that in the form of the advent of romance novels, they came into being. And then they'd see evidence in love letters. Love letters were a big thing at that time. And people professing their love for one another. And then diary entries, people talking about, oh, I'm in love and all these kinds of things. So that didn't happen in written record before. But still marriages were seen as still this more companionate model. Uh, Some were starting to go into romantic love, but not fully yet. So then by the early 20th century, early to mid 20th century, three major factors, the research says, started to radically change our concept of marriage as we know it today. The first thing, which which one I didn't think about at all, is capitalism. So capitalism came into being and With that came a focus on corporations as arguably the most fundamental institution of society rather than marriage as a way to hold society together. And with that came a growing sense of isolation. You go to work, you go out to work, you're not working at home, in the field, whatever, in your village or whatever, you're going to a corporation there was more isolation. There was a now a focus on hyper-individualism as we live today in Western society. And, and if you remember me saying that physical proximity was the only real sort of noted form of intimacy back when, now um, there's much less physical proximity. People are isolated. Mm. So there was a need, there was a a hole in people of like they're not interacting with others in a general way like they were. Now suddenly marriage is becoming, there's more pressure on a marriage to give people a sense of intimacy that they might have been getting more communally. Well, it makes me think just about the development of relationships with my clients or ours as in these stages, you know, and and I'll call them stages. Yeah. 
this is how we partner together. You and I get together and like, you know, we divide up the tasks. Yeah. You know, and some people say, isn't it great to have a relationship because you could put the gas in the car and I could do the dishes. So, so we get this sort of like, yeah. it's like a, a, yeah. a kind of, a, I don't know if it's like a companionate model, but it's almost like an organizational model. Yeah. It's not about our romance. It's not about our love of that's each right. other. It's not about are we talking about our feelings and our intimacy. Oh, that's really true. We're just kind of like. It's more like a well-oiled machine, we yeah. sometimes call it. And sometimes we have a challenge yeah. because we do well as a well-oiled machine. Yeah. And then we sort of have to like, you know what? We haven't really gotten into anything. Let's right. have a conflict this right. weekend. Right. You know? right. But like sometimes it's crazy. But it's like, how do you. Only we would say that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that. <laughs> would that's say me. That. I'm kind of like that. <laughs> no, but it's like, but, but when it's like, okay, hey. Hey, honey, I filled the gas tank in the car. Oh, you're going to make dinner tonight. Yeah. I'll wash the dishes. Yeah. I'll do the laundry. You're going to do this. You're going to pay the bill. It's like you divide up mm. tasks and then right. people with kids, it's like even more yeah. accentuated, right? Okay, you're going to take yeah. Bobby to class and I'm going to, you know. And so it becomes this like, it's almost like a mini corporation, if you will, it is. right? Well, capitalism it's like, still still rules, right? Well, we have to, this is our, what is your job? I'll support you to get your career. You'll right. support me get my career. And all these other kinds of yes. things that also are models of relationship. Yeah. You know, can we be a power couple? You can be a doctor and I can be this. And, yeah. But that's not about our intimacy, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a, it's a different. Or about romance, or for about that romance, matter. Right? It's so about, it's, a, it's a good point you're bringing up. So there's. Yeah. Or makes me think of relationships that maybe go through stages or mm-hmm. meet in one way and mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah these different places that we do yeah we still kind of figure out right how do we work out certain areas of life and how much stuff you know this answer because I haven't studied it I just watch people yeah but how much out there in the literature programs workshops the people that you study how much out there is helping people figure out how to communicate and connect to just compensate for that overlay still yeah i mean there there's a fair amount out there um especially there's sort of two buckets of literature uh, and then I'll get back to my history yeah, oh, in yeah, a second. Sorry, but, yeah. the, but there's mm-hmm. two sort of main buckets of literature out there. One is the academic literature, which is basically researchers, scholars, studying topics in depth in a very fine-tooth calm kind of way, basing their research on what has been done before and trying to fill a gap and find out something new. And that's for like the academic community. That's like most mm-hmm. of the stuff I'm reading, right? Most of most people in the mainstream aren't even looking at that literature at all. It's like in a blind spot of academia. And then there's the what's called like the trade literature or the popular literature, like Esther Perel. Not to say that she doesn't have yeah. an academic background. That's not what I'm saying. But the, what she's offering for the public, for public consumption, is like popular trade literature. Dr. John Gottman, for example. He's got a mm. bunch of books out there. So a lot of that literature is really focused on how to help couples, let's say, in this context. Help them do what? Help them uh, feel closer together. Okay. You know, help them, quote, make a better marriage, how to have a successful partnership, whatever. So so that those tend to be more how-to books, self-help right. kind of books, and the academic literature is more about they're trying to quantify and make qualitative research about, like, what what a couple's report as is satisfying to them when right. they have relationship satisfaction, they call right. it. Or but would you say, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Is that answering your question? Yeah, or? yes. And I, but I still have more. Yeah. 
I'm dreaming, thinking, correct me, that the research literature, the academic literature, which is saying how do couples satisfy themselves or yeah. something, and then the trade literature, yeah. how do I help couples get closer, is almost like post these, operate after some of these the property capitalistic things. Yes. Aren't they like trying to like, they're bringing in what we're trying to experience today almost against a background Correct. of we're here because we can get along together. You look like a good baby making machine. We can make money or yeah. whatever, those kind of things. Well, I don't know if this is exactly what yeah. you're getting at, yeah. but the interest on emotional intimacy is very, very recent. Tell me. It's really <laughs> in the last uh, 45, 50 years and even less, even fewer years than that, when we're talking about the kind of books that I'm mentioning around like the Gottmans and attachment theory about this and that and Esther Perel and others leaders in this area in the popular literature area. So they're really this interest in how to feel closer to your partner, how to make a better marriage or relationship or what have you is a, is really very recent in time. This wasn't around for very long. So let me just go back mm -hmm. to the history and there's just a tiny bit more to bring us up to the current day. So as I mentioned, at the early 20th century and into the mid 20th century, there were three things that radically changed the institution of marriage towards a more intimacy-based view. First was capitalism which I talked about. The second was in the late 1920s when the li women's liberation movement uh -huh. was really starting to take hold. And that allowed women two main things. One was they could actually seek a divorce if they wanted one, unheard of before that, mm -hmm. that a woman could seek a divorce. Wow. And second, <clears throat> that it allowed women to expect more happiness from marriage. Seems like a crazy concept to us now. Like, of course, we would think about that. But this was not always the case. For a woman to think about what would make her happy in a marriage mm -hmm. is only from the late 1920s, folks. Mm -hmm. That's pretty darn recent in my perspective. Recent, too. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking about, you know, having worked with people for yes. three decades. <clears throat> and, 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 you know, from speak to your law your family law background yeah. too. Yeah, I practiced family law, divorce law, custody law, uh, starting about 20 years ago for 10 years, something like that, 22 years ago for 10 years. I think it ended about 12 years ago. So I did that for 10 years. And still, people were in that paradigm. The courts were opening up to the idea of what was called no-fault divorce, mm -hmm. which meant... You could say, David, I want to get a divorce, mm -hmm. and you wouldn't have to prove anything bad about me. Right. You wouldn't. I wouldn't have to agree. You didn't have to get me. David doesn't agree. To grant David's not me a divorce. willing to divorce me. It's like right. so. It was like, and that was really about women's empowerment. That That's said, right. Maybe I'm being abused. Maybe I'm not happy. Right. Maybe whatever. Right. I can just say no. Yeah. Right. It's like yeah. a, almost like a anti-rape culture idea. Right. I can say no when it's a no. Right. You know, yeah. and, and I can say yes, and you can say no, and it's still a no. Right. <clears throat> so that, that that's still a growing thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, <clears throat> when I, when I'm saying back in the late 1920s when women, I, I'm specifically saying they could seek a divorce. It doesn't mean they were given a divorce by the court. Back then, 
It could be because you know from when you started to lie, that was a new concept to say irreconcilable differences and you don't have to prove that your husband cheated on you or that he was abusive to you. But you did back then. You couldn't just get out of a marriage because you wanted to. You had to prove, you had to make a case Mm -hmm. and get the divorce. Our intimacy slash your happiness. Right. Our closeness, our love, yeah. our romantic interest in right. the frames you're using yeah. were irrelevant. Irrelevant. Wait a second, you know, right. this is the yeah. This is the what holds people together. This is capitalism. We got to bring in the church. Right. This is the church idea, sure. Judeo-Christian. Sure. If you want to talk about it, that but yeah. somehow these are the values of our culture. Right. And and uh, right. And, so know. let me get to the final. Oh yeah. Th- uh, mm-hmm. Thing. So in the mid. 1900s, 1950s, 60s, the advent of psychoanalysis was sort of the the third tipping point towards intimacy in marriage. And that meant that it, it sort of ushered in a time when it became much more acceptable to discuss one's feelings. The feelings themselves became Amazing. an acceptable topic of conversation, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that wild? Yeah. Um, and that even the, the concept, at least in the therapy setting, of making an emotional connection with another person, mm-hmm. that that was valued. It was important to make a connection between the analyst and the analysand, right? That, that the therapeutic emotional connection was an important connection. And that started to bleed into marriage. That, oh, you mean it's good to talk about my feelings with an intimate person in my life. It's good to talk about our emotional connection. So fascinating to me that somehow the hyper-individualism of capitalism and the sense of further isolation that then caused us to want more out of our marriage, then women's liberation, and that that there was more allowance for women to want more out of their marriage. Mm -hmm. And then psychoanalysis saying, Yes, it's okay to talk about feelings and to have an emotional connection to want that. Mm. That gave way into, finally, in the 1970s, intimacy as a term is the first time it officially became a category in a, in a prominent journal called Psychological Abstracts. It was the 1970s, in my lifetime, mm-hmm. that it became a widely recognized mm. research area. And now... Since then, it has not only been much more researched, but it has actually rapidly become an expected part of not only marriage, but all intimate relationships, but long, all, long-term, married, unmarried, straight, queer, committed relationships now, intimacy, and I'm saying emotional intimacy, just to, just to separate that out from sex, because a lot of times even scholars... Uh, use intimacy as a euphemism for sex. So I'm just talking about the emotional part of intimacy, that emotional intimacy has become a central expectation of relationship, of Mm. especially romantic relationship, especially long-term romantic relationship. Mm. I think it's still getting integrated, what you're talking about. Since the 70s, so it's 50 years at best, I think it's still getting integrated. I still think a lot of people maybe have this romantic interest, et cetera, but then the, are we close? Mm. 
mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. I think that's why people, that's why I was asking about the Gottman and others. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that I think people are kind of saying, how do we get close? We're not close. Mm-hmm. We've been together for 10 years. So how come we're not close? We used to be close. Right. Sexually or non-sexually. Right. So I think this question is still, it is. we're in the midst of that part of it of like, Definitely. what is this closest thing? Because again, like we were talking about before, we can just divide up the things and do well. And right. we can look like a good couple. Yeah. But then... I think you're the really closeness right. closeness thing. People go to workshops. I'm going to go away for a weekend retreat for my relationship. Like, why are they doing that? How come yeah. that's not happening ongoing? Yeah. I think these other bases, yeah. not that they shouldn't be yeah. there. Yes. A lot of that, a lot, you're, you're so right. Mm-hmm. I also, it's not just from what I've read, but also sort of intuitively, whether it's our relationship through our relationship through my work with clients through sort of Mm -hmm. sensing the pulse of the field of relationships out there i really do feel like we're entering a sort of heyday if that's if that's the right of of thinking about of caring about of focusing on emotional Mm -hmm. intimacy i really think Mm -hmm. we're just entering into it actually and there's a lot of a lot of the books um focus on talking, on sharing feelings and talking, mm-hmm. on conversation as the road in. And I know we talk about that a lot together. We talk about it on our podcast, about communication. A lot of what's out there is focusing on communication and like how to and have these certain conversations with your partner about, you know, <clears throat> getting to know each other and getting yeah. to know each other's feelings <clears throat> and da da da. And that I have no problem with that as it is. And it's just an and, but it's an important one that the literature that I, I have found this to be true in my own research. And I have now found some scholars who would, who agree with this. Still, the focus is very white and very Western and, <clears throat> less heteronormative than it once was, but very white and very Western. And that in terms of how they think about emotional intimacy, how they define it, how they conceptualize it, they, it is still very um, focused on, on talking, on sharing feelings and, and how you receive your partner's feelings as the crux of it. And studies show they're less... They're more marginal studies in terms of the acceptance that other cultures, that is not necessarily necessarily the predominant way they experience intimacy. Mm-hmm. There, so there are still important gaps in the research that the white Western view does not see. It's in the blind spot. All right. We got to give big kudos to the women's movement, to the rise of feminists and feminism for breaking through because as... And to post-colonial scholars, I need to say that too. Yeah. Yes. Because that's how this, some of this, some of the deep developments, right? Mm-hmm. Then we research for a while and we learn a lot of stuff about people and humanity. And then some, then women come along and where queer folks come along and say, let me interrupt your status quo. Mm-hmm. And now a paradigm shift or development, at least the, the minds have to open, like you're saying with... Mm-hmm with the gender issue, mm-hmm. women coming in and saying, I'm here for my happiness. I have the power to ask for that. I don't care whether you can support me only or not, mm-hmm. etc." That's still growing also. Mm-hmm. The empowerment of women's 
in relation marriages in relationship and the feminine if you can call it that psychological point of view yeah. about what we're doing here yeah. together yeah um right. so it's not a patriarchal point of view only right we're here to work out things well you know right good and, and make babies not bad that's not only patriarchal but in a sense the functionalness yes of breaking down yeah yeah cool yeah <laughs> i mean it, it's it's really interesting uh, for for me as a as a evolving researcher as a growing researcher and scholar one of the things that uh, is being emphasized in the courses that I'm taking the learning that I'm getting is what they call in academia re- reflexivity it's my uh, ability and willingness to be self-aware, to be self-reflective, to be self-critical about the research that I'm looking at, right? Because if one doesn't consider one's own identity as a researcher, then one doesn't know the blind spots that they're coming into the research with. So I'm white, and I'm from a Western perspective, and I'm heterosexual, I'm straight, right? So I am going to have blind spots and assumptions coming into my study that if I don't think about those, put those in check, regularly analyze that, critically review that, look to other people who are not like me to put me in check around that and make sure my my review of the literature even incorporates people not like me to consider my own identity and placement and and academically we say epistemology in looking at what am I studying and what perspective do I come into that as a default blind spot, right? Mm -hmm. Because the literature itself is so white and so Western that I could just think it's reinforcing everything I already think. I've already been indoctrinated with this, right? So then I don't notice that there are other experiences around intimacy that are not like mine. So that is just one gap that I have Mm -hmm. found in the literature on emotional intimacy that I'm hoping to redefine it and reconceptualize it in a way that is more genuinely inclusive. Wow. That was a lot. (laughs) We're so... We're so fortunate. Seriously, I just want to acknowledge that we're fortunate that you're studying thinking, reflecting, researching, writing about this topic, because then in addition to the experiences that we have doing therapy and with, each, with ourselves and our own, and our own relationship, that you are getting these overviews and historical views and that you're mm-hmm. thinking about, like the question inside of me, doesn't the diversity question doesn't only come up sometimes with the client, but I'm not having to think these things through. Mm-hmm. What does I mean? Is it, what, why are relationships more this way or that way? What does gender have to do with how, we've, how I'm even framing things? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to think about that. So mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. appreciate you mm-hmm. publicly here for like mm-hmm. sharing your your knowledge and mm. and thinking and wisdom and experience and marrying all those together with your experience with me in relationship so that we can bring to our podcast mm. different levels of understanding yeah. and thinking and yeah thank so you thanks for taking the lead mm. today mm. and thanks david balancing us out because last time you didn't have much voice yeah. and i and i was like oh sure i'll take over <laughs> I'm a guy. Why hell? Why wouldn't I take over? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> 
Besides, this is my property. <laughs> Who cares whether you're happy? <laughs> you can't leave without my say so. <laughs> Am I getting? I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm, got, I'm, I'm got, got the whole history. You got there. the whole thing <laughs> down. And I'm still overcoming that. You know, but I, you know, I, you know, I'm moving along. We're helping slowly. you along. You're nudging me along. You know, I, I'm getting there. <laughs> we like laughing about this. It's fun. <laughs> if we couldn't laugh at ourselves, oh, I'd be. We'd be We'd be I'd be screwed. so effed. We'd be screwed. You know, yeah. Because um yeah. because some people this is one of my hobby horses. Okay, I'll yeah. end with this and you yes. take your last Go word. For it. But one of my hobby horses is people who write like on a Facebook or an article, the answer to the problem is this. Everything is whatever. Attachment. Everything is yes. trauma. Today trauma is the big thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a really damn big thing. Yeah. So so that's important. Or the answer is a certain positivity. The answer is resolving the mother wound. The answer is, and these are great ideas, except for the answer is, you know, it's like there are answers along the way. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yes. and for me, yeah. there's the, if there is an answer, this is the answer, right? It's yeah. my answer. Yeah. No, the answer is, for me, one of the deep answers that has to be part of the answers yes. is a humility. It's like, yeah. I'm going to learn something different mm. tomorrow. Someone's going to write to me and tell me what I missed. Yes. You're going to conflict with me tomorrow about something I said. Totally. I'm going to have a nighttime dream and I'm going to realize something that I totally uh. missed. Or I'm going to be criticizing myself all night and realizing that I put myself down and I should have said more. And the, the willingness to keep learning and have an open yes. uh, mind and heart to say, well, we worked that out last week or last year or three years ago and it was the answer. And guess what? It's not really today. Oh my gosh. We're on the next place. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love what you're saying. I could not agree more. First of all, that, that learning is a mm-hmm. process of renewed humility. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Especially in relationship. But I also got to say that I wish more people adopted a a lived sense of humility, really in the way in the spirit that you're suggesting. Um, it it's important to find answers, as you're saying. Answers are good, and things are much more complex than most of us realize. And that's, I think, really what I'm finding not only in life, in relationship, but even specifically in my study of emotional intimacy, that emotional intimacy is complex territory. And to even begin to know what is it? How do we cultivate it? What is, how do we define it? How do we conceptualize it? How do we do all of that in such a way that is inclusive and not exclusive, that brings in multiple points of view, that uh, can be applied to lots of different people. That's a humbling task, to yeah. say the least. And I, I really hope and wish that, that more people would um, continue to sort of self-reflect on their own positionality on their own backgrounds on their own identities and mm-hmm. what what they just sort of take for granted as truth because they had that experience right because it may not be true for the next person yeah and that's just seems so central to to life mm-hmm. no i think mm-hmm. so beautiful yeah 
Thanks, everyone, for being with us today. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, David. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on episode 11. Stay with us and share the podcast. We're going to keep growing. We're going to keep bringing in new ideas and experiences and personal experiences. I didn't get to talk about all the mess that I've made in my life about (laughs) marriage around the things we talked about, but I wanted to tell some real mess stories. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. (laughs) Okay. Good to be here. Lots of love, everyone. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. If you like this episode or learned something new, we would love if you would spread the love on social media and tell a friend about our podcast. As you know, word of mouth is everything. And if you really want to put a smile on our faces, subscribe to our podcast so you can be sure to receive all our future episodes. And while you're at it, write us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. To learn more, visit intodeep.com. That's I-N-T-W-O. D-E-E-P dot com. Music is An Orange Groove by Raphael Pistachio. In Too Deep is a Belly Song Press production.